Nelson Tressler, I appreciate you for dropping by. How's it going, man? It's going well. Thanks for having me, Jay. I appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, this is the uh, the season eight opener, and uh, prior to this season, season six and seven were all uh, solo ventures. So if there's actually any more listeners listening to this, um, you're the first guest I have had on in, in quite some time. So, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of feels like I'm losing my virginity again, like to yeah. uh, to a lady of the night. So I appreciate you you being that for me. I'm here. I'm here for you. <laughs> Thanks. Would you agree that a mere ninety nine percent of of all people were a sperm at one point? I would think a hundred percent were, weren't they? Yeah. Well, you haven't met my friend Brian. Okay. <laughs> must have made a good bet. <laughs> he must have been made out of spare parts in a garage. I'm telling you, if you meet him. But listen, man, you 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 wrote a book, correct? The Unlucky Sperm Club. Yeah, I mean, the the title comes from the very unique child, you know, uh, origin story that I have. I, I definitely had a pretty unique childhood and a tough time. So, uh, you know, the, the title's called the Unlucky Sperm Club, but the subtitle is "You're not a victim of your circumstances, but a product of your choices." And I wrote this book just to show people that no matter where you're at, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, uh, you know, your choices will get you exactly where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just the, uh, the quick bio that I read um, before I reached out to you, I mean, like the first sentence, murder, rape and abuse is just the start of my story. And here I am thinking I had a hard life because in sixth grade, I had a this girl named Julia Crown, and if you're a listener, uh, shout out to you. She kicked me in the nuts because she liked me and, and didn't want to go to a dance with me. So I thought my life was hard. And then I read that. I'm like, oh, my God, we need to reach out to Nelson and, and see kind of like where your mindset is, man. Like, how, like you're, you're pretty successful now, it looks like. And I just want to see, like, I want to get behind those eyes and know, like, what you went through. So can can you take us from, like, the first point, I suppose, of your remembrance of of what all happened, because murder, rape, abuse, sure. I don't know in what order all this happened. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of do a, a, a brief summary. So my mom, uh, she's one of 15 children. She became pregnant with me when she was 15 years old. And while she was pregnant with me, her father, who was a local trash collector in a small town in, in central Pennsylvania, he drove into the town square. He spotted two police officers standing on the street corner. He stuck a gun out the window and opened fire on those police officers. Jeez. Killing one and critically wounding another. And eventually he was captured and brought to stand trial where he was facing the death penalty. And during his trial, my mom, pregnant with me now, um, gets up and testifies to the jury uh, that the reason that her father had shot and killed that police officer was that that police officer had raped her and she was now pregnant with his baby who was me to clarify that's uh her dad which is your grandfather correct correct um so so i mean i don't know if anybody's lived in a small town but uh everybody knows uh everything about you in a small town about half of it's true so after that, that trial was the biggest thing that ever happened in our county. So everybody knew my family now because of what my grandfather had done. And everybody knew who I was because of my mom's testimony. And so eventually the, the, the first trial ended in a hung jury because of my mom's testimony. The state took the death penalty off the table and uh, tried my grandfather again. This time he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, where uh, he eventually ended up spending uh, the rest of his life more than 40 years behind bars. Um, and then, yeah, you know, leaving behind uh, his family, had, like I said, he had 15 children, including my mom and now me, to deal with the consequences in this town. So, um, Life wasn't easy uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, if you can believe it or not, you know, my mom turns 21 and uh, she goes to bars to uh, meet a man and 
Uh, eventually, she ends up finding one that uh, would become my stepfather. And almost as quick as he uh, unpacked his uh, belongings in our house, he kind of unpacked all of his bad habits. And we quickly found out that he was an alcoholic, uh, very physically and emotionally abusive to me and my mom on a daily basis. Um, Jesus. So that was hard. And, and then uh, my mom and stepfather had four children in quick succession, four kids in four years. Whoa. Yeah. And because of the lifestyle that they were living, uh, a lot of the basic needs of my siblings fell on me as the oldest. And uh, I was diaper changing, bottle feeding, even waking up at two in the morning to take care of babies. And because of this, my mom would rather me stay home from school and help her than, than go to school. And I didn't like school anyhow, I wasn't any good at it. And uh, eventually, uh, you know, flash forward to the fourth grade, and you know, you know the last day of fourth grade and you, you go to school and you're gonna get your report card, you'll find out who you have for fifth grade and mm -hmm. find out if any of your buddies are gonna be in your class with you. And I remember going in there and uh, looking down at my report card and I had straight Fs. Uh, oh man. And the fact that I wasn't moving on to fourth grade and uh, you know, so uh, I, I shouldn't have been surprised. I probably missed 60 days of school that year. So, uh, you were basically working a full-time job at in the fourth grade. How old is that? Uh, I was probably eight, nine. That's crazy because we were just talking off air that I have a six-year-old and you were performing like the duties of basically a mother. <laughs> not not too much older than my son who's six. And I could I could not imagine that. Well, I couldn't and, even imagine that. Well, and in doing all that, but then you're doing it in total chaos because almost nightly my stepfather was coming home drunk and either beating me or beating my mom or both of us and uh, just just causing havoc. And the, the following year, uh, you know, I got placed into special ed. I couldn't read. I couldn't write. Couldn't spell. Still can't spell. Um, and then come to find out I, uh, I have dyslexia. So I got placed into special ed, went, started to go to the fifth grade and, or excuse me, fourth grade. And life continued uh, that way until one day my stepfather was walking home drunk from a bar and uh, somebody else was driving home drunk from that bar and they ended up hitting and killing him. And, uh, you know, it, as hard as my mom's life was with my stepdad, losing him pretty much broke her. I mean, here she is, she's still in her 20s. She has five children, young children, and has never worked outside of the home. She, you know, she dropped out of school in the eighth grade because she got pregnant with me. Uh, so, you know, she was just totally lost. And then, you know, a few days after the funeral, I remember my mom coming home and she just started to clean our house, which wasn't necessarily the case all the time. And she cooks this incredible dinner and, uh, you know, which, which wasn't the case because we were like literally no food in the refrigerator poor, you know, whether or not the lights turned on or off because we didn't pay the bill. And I remember winters in the kitchen where we had to nail a blanket over the doorway and open up the stove for heat because we didn't have any oil. So we, we were very poor. So this dinner kind of, uh, was was like a Christmas dinner for us. And then, uh, you know, we finished up, she cleaned up and then she took each one of us kids and, and, uh, took us up, up to our bed, tucked us in, gave us a kiss and told us how much she loved us. And that was very rare. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, you know what, this is the way life's going to be now because my stepfather wouldn't allow my mom to be this type of mom. So now this is, and I remember laying in bed, just, thinking, I do not want to go to sleep. I don't want this day to end. And eventually I did fall asleep. And then all of a sudden I was woke up again by screams. And I'm like, oh. And the first thing that went through my head was that I had dreamt that my stepfather had died and he was back and uh, down there hurting my mom because I'd been woken up countless times uh, with those two fighting. Uh, and, and, and so... I got out of bed. I re walked down the stairs and kind of peeked around the corner and 
I see my mom laying on the floor, you know, not moving. And then I see the, our neighbor, we were in a duplex. So she lived on the other side of the, the wall and she was trying to get my mom to wake up and she wasn't waking up. And, uh, my mom had committed suicide and fortunately, you know, she wasn't successful. Uh, the ambulance were able to revive her, but wow. Um, she, you know, they took her away, took her to the hospital and eventually she got out after a week or so, but it was at that time that she decided, you know what, she, she just couldn't care for all five of us children on her own. And that's when my family got split up. And then I went to go live with my grandmother who, you know, is the wife of the man who shot and killed the police officer. She had, like I said, she had 15 kids. Uh, a lot of them had, were adults by now and had moved out. But she was raising, you know, five or six other grandchildren, just the same of a woman. And, uh, you know, in a three bedroom house. Um, and uh, I remember I slept on the floor right next to my grandmother on a sleeping bag. And my girl cousin slept on the floor next to me on a mattress. And there were kids, you know, on couches and floors. And there was about 10 of us there. But. For the first time in my life, I didn't have to worry about somebody coming home drunk. I didn't have to worry about eating uh, or, you know, or the lights not being turned on. And one of my Graham's rules, one of the few rules that she had for us was, unless there's blood coming out of both your eyes and your ears, you're going to school. And uh, that's probably because she needed a break uh, and school was the only time she did it. So for the first time in my life, I went to school on a consistent basis. And I started to realize, you know what, like I can learn, like I, I wasn't as dumb as I thought I was. And I still had trouble reading, writing, spelling, all that stuff. Uh, but I started to, I started to get better at school. And so I lived with my grandpa for a few years and I, I, I saw the way my life was going. And I knew I wanted more for my life than the people that I, you know, were around me. and uh you know i i just didn't want that type of life i wanted something more and i remember uh a college counselor coming to our school and doing an assembly on what it would take to get into college and i started for whatever reason i'm like that's my answer like i need to go to college i need to get a college degree and you know what happens whenever somebody you, you know whenever you tell yourself you're going to do something that's hard that voice in the back of your head just starts screaming at you all the reasons you shouldn't even try why it's not possible yeah. and i remember you know that voice saying nelson you know what you're in special ed you can't read you can't write you can't spell of my mom's uh 15 you know of those 15 brothers and sisters two had ever graduated high school none had ever gone to college um and so you know, the chances of me graduating high school were probably low, let alone going to college and getting a college degree. But I knew where I was headed if I didn't do something. And so I set that goal, even though I really didn't know what goals were then. I just told myself, you know what, I'm going to be the first person in this family to get a college degree. And I know this podcast is short, so I'm going to I'll flash forward. But it took me uh, it took me 12 years. It took me four different universities. It took me joining the Air Force on the GI Bill. But eventually, you know, like I said, 12 years after after that, uh, I became the first person in my family to get get a college degree. Wow, man! Congratulations, geez. Like you want to talk about drive? I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> okay, but um. That's incredible, man. Uh, first, I want to just to keep it current is where do you think that that drive came from? Just because you knew like the path that your life could take if you didn't do this? Like yeah, you've been yeah. knocked down so many damn times, man. And you just kept chugging forward 12 years. Yeah. That's incredible. Like 99% of people would probably quit. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's that's my first lesson is uh, you can have anything you want if, if you have enough time, enough energy, enough focus and you don't quit. Uh, I mean, so many people quit on their goals. They quit on their dreams uh, and then they're never going to be realized. And I, I think that's one of my superpowers. 
uh, is that I don't quit. Uh, I make sure, you know, I know what I want. I, I make sure that that goal is crystal clear. I know what I have to pay in order to achieve that goal for the most part. I know what type of time I got to commit and sacrifices I might have to commit and resources. But once I realize that and I'm clear on it, then I'm going after it. And you know what? Uh, you'll have setbacks and you'll even have times when you pause it. But as long as you keep going, uh, you know, you'll eventually achieve it. You'll eventually achieve that goal. I, what do you think I, that heart comes from, though? You know what? I So I was part of the Big Brother, Big Sister program growing up. Um, and I got to see a different life. Um, I got to see his family and, you know, I, I saw where there wasn't an alcoholic in the home and I saw where men didn't beat up on women. And I, he was, a, he was going to college when he was my big brother and I saw him graduating with college and, you know, he, he definitely gave me some good, uh, motivation. Like he was the first guy to ever look at me and ask me what I wanted to do and tell me that I could do it. And, you know, everybody else, I mean, I was that kid from the trial. I was the kid from that family. Everybody else told me I was going to end up in jail, uh, you know, an alcoholic and, and sure. uh, you know, doing all that. And, and why wouldn't you think that? I mean, the, the, the odds are in that favor. But I knew there was something better out there. I knew that, uh, you know, that other life was there and all I had to do was go and get it. And that, that's, that's kind of where it came from. And, you know, I, I, I also, I dated a girl in high school and I hung out with their family a lot uh, and saw how their family was. So, you know, I, I, I knew, I knew what my future, I knew that I wanted to become somebody different than I was or who I was going to become. So I, I, I kind of knew that future that I wanted for myself. And then I just started, you know, walking through the fog because I, I didn't have a clue uh, how to do it. I just started taking one step that I thought would get me closer to every day. And then eventually, you know, just like walking through fog, it starts to open up and you start to see where yeah. you're heading and what you need to mm -hmm. do and what direction you need to go and the choices you need to make. It's funny. Some people in those situations when they find themselves there, I mean, you can either take one of two roads. You can either become like the person your stepdad was like, you can easily fall into that path or you can have self-awareness and understanding and realize you want to be nothing like that at all. And you will do whatever it takes to kind of break that chink in the armor just to yeah. separate yourself from that and start a new life and start your own family. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you, you touched on it perfectly. And, and I touch on this in my book, you know, I didn't necessarily know who I wanted to be, but I absolutely knew who I didn't want to be. And yeah. I just started making as many choices as I could not to be like that. And then that eventually, you know, I would lead me as far away from being coming that type of person as I could. So yeah, absolutely. A, a lot of times you don't have crystal clear goals on what you, what you want to do or what you want to be, but you know exactly where you don't want to be and what you, and who you don't want to become. I wonder what you would be like if you didn't grow up in that environment. Well, you know, I you know what? I think, I think my boys are showing me that. So, I mean, that, that's, that's the, that's the incredible thing of goals is they're not just for you. They're generational. And because of that one goal, you know, of becoming that first person to graduate from college, because of just that one goal, you know, I'm living this drastically different life. And, and now my, I have three sons they're living drastically different lives than I am uh, because of that. And, you know, they're, they're living great lives. They're all on their way to becoming, you know, great men. You know, my oldest, uh, my oldest son is, uh, he's married and about to uh, have his first child. Uh, so we're excited about that. And, and he's living a great life. And, 
I have a, my middle son is, is playing division one college baseball and he's, you know, he's off and, and running. And then my youngest son, you know, he's a straight A student, uh, you know, playing baseball and, and having a, a great time in, in uh, high school and, and just, they're living great lives. They're great kids. They, they have great values and standards. Yeah. They, they know, they know what type of people they want to become. And they're, they're on a springboard compared to where I was. And, and that's what I tell them is you see the type of life that I'm living and where I came from. Yeah. This is all for you guys to give you a head start so that you guys can go twice as far as, as I've gone on every single area of your life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're able to, to kind of share stories and teach them all without the PTSD that, that you had to go through. Like they don't have to, to carry on, you know, they don't have to hold on to that PTSD, like get physically abused. They can just hear it from you and you share their stories. I mean, that's why it's so important but I, man, it just, it bugs me to no ends when children are just mistreated. Like we, we didn't ask to be, to be brought up into that family. You know, it's just so unfair when I see like adults mistreating children, I just feel so bad. That's the one thing that gets me is seeing children mistreated or like being ignored or just like, I don't know, man, it really yeah. bothers me. Yeah, no, I, I can't even go to the hospital where there's a sick child. And I yeah, seriously. I can't stand it. But, Jay, here, here's one thing I'll tell you. This, this is one of the concepts that really changed my life. And it's that things only have the meaning that you're willing to give them. And what I mean by that, like, for instance, that story that I just told, mm -hmm. nobody knew that story except for my wife. I moved out of that small town. I came to Las Vegas. I didn't tell my in-laws. I didn't tell my kids. I didn't tell my friends. I was running from who that was and what happened and, and all of that. So I never told anybody. I told my wife before we got married, just so she would kind of, you know, I think, it, I think it's only fair that she would know. So I told her, but I didn't tell anybody else. And then I started you know, I started to think about writing a book and, and the, the fact that I had a story that I think could help other people. And I had already, you know, been successful in a lot of areas of my life. So I thought I had a story to tell. And then I, I looked at that and said, you know, you lived that life for a reason. And so you could help other people overcome the challenges that they're having right now and see where you came from and then where you've gone. And as soon oh, as totally. I gave it that meaning, now not only am I not telling my family, uh, now I'm sharing it on podcasts for millions of people to hear my story, but to learn from it because I know it will help them. I will, it'll help them overcome the circumstances that they're in and and understand that their choices are how they're going to get to where they want to go. Yeah, wonderfully put. I mean, I I, I want to go back before I get before I lose my train of thought because during your your stories there were so many uh points I wanted to jump in but I wanted you to to continue cuz you told that so nicely. Um so so was the cop your dad? So as far as whether or not that police officer was my dad, I don't want to ruin the book, but what I, what I will say is there are a lot of twists and turns in that story, even more so even after I published the book, uh, there have been more twists and turns with that. But uh, a lot of the book, I think, leads up to uh, all that reveal. So I'm not going to reveal it on your podcast. I'm sorry, Jay. No, understandable. Understandable. Yeah. Um, there are a few more questions I wanted to ask because you, you sir, have quite the the unique, um, you know, background, I suppose. And leading up to that, I mean, do you think that the uh, the story that you just shared 
Do you think that's more common than we think? Like what people are going through? Like uh, abuse I, like that? And you know what? I don't even, I can't, I don't even pretend that my story is probably even at the bottom end of, of stories that some people are going through. I, I mm -hmm. think, I think there are people that are in horrible circumstances, 10 times worse than mine, dealing with all kinds of stuff. And uh, yeah, but, but that, that's the thing with my book is I don't, I don't, I don't care if, if your circumstances are a hundred times worse or a hundred times better. Where you end up, what type of life you live is based on the choices that you make. Because we, we may not be able to pick our circumstances. We may not be able to pick what happens to us, but we absolutely can pick the way that we move on from those circumstances that we, we we find ourselves in i agree i agree it, but not to to say that like depression and like like sometimes these psychological um components you know that people are dealing with i mean they can really rock you like pe some people just can't even get out of bed because it hurts so much so what type of psychological things were you going for i'm sure you weren't just like crisp and clear I'm sure you went through some things like trying to to rebuild yourself. Oh, yeah. I mean, to, to, to say that my transformation from who I was when I was a child to who I am now is is night and day. I, I think it's it's like anything. It's it's one step at a time. It's it's trying to make progress to where you want to end up and who you want to become. Every goal starts with who we are. So in order to achieve a, a goal, you need to become that person that can achieve that goal. And, and becoming a different person isn't drastic overnight. It, it's, it's step by step by step. And making a decision may not change your life, but it absolutely can change the direction of your life. So everything starts with one choice, one decision. It's not going to change your life overnight, but it'll change the direction of your life. And then all you have to do is continue along that path, making those type of choices. One of the things in my book I talk about is the alter ego. I, I have an alter ego and that's the person that I, it's the best version of myself. It's the version of the person that I want to become. It's the, he's the best dad, the best husband, the best businessman and negotiator and you know he's he's the best member of our church you know all, all those things my alter ego is now I'm a long ways away from that but what I will say is I'm closer to it than I was 10 years ago and I'm closer to becoming that my alter ego than I was five years ago I just continue to keep striving to become more and more like them and the way that you do that is if you have if you have a situation in your life where it requires a decision, and this can be anything from as big as what what job to take or whether or not you're going to go to the freezer and pull out the ice cream. The question that I always ask myself is, you know, what would what would Fred do? Fred's the name of my alter ego. And if Fred wouldn't go and get that ice cream because he wants to be in shape and he wants to have six pack abs and be able to run a marathon, well, then I'm not going to do it. So that's an easy way for me to become more and more like my alter ego. Real quick. Why Fred? Is Fred significant for something? No, it's not. It, okay. it was just a name. And, and, and frankly, my, my alter ego's name changes depending on how excited I want to get and how, <laughs> how much fun I want to have. So oh, yeah. I'll change, I'll change the name up. And you know what? Some people have different alter egos for different things. Some people have a, a an alter ego that plays sports and it's a different name. And somebody has an alter ego that's in business and they'll have several different alter egos. I, I kind of mush them all into one because I want to become a, a well-rounded person in all areas of my life. But I, I do change their name. I, I guess Fred has a few nicknames. Uh, out there that I use depending on what situation I'm in. 
Yeah, you, you said something about sports real quick, and I remember someone told me this, and it, it and it resonated so well with me, is that like the the things you can do when you put on a uniform, like in this case, let's say a baseball uniform, like you're actually turning into your own superhero, your alter ego, because the things you can do once you put on that that hockey jersey or that baseball uniform, like you might make a dive or a, like a, a crazy play, right? The showing, showcasing some real agility that you would never make if you were wearing a polo and cargo pants. Yeah. You well, know, it just does something to you. Well, and, and part of the alter ego is you have to have a talisman. And a, a, that could be a hat, that could be a bracelet, it could be a watch, mm. it could be a, a coin that you have in your pocket. It could be just about anything, but whenever you use that talisman that's when you become that alter ego so there's a lot of different strategies out there for it and i'm writing a new book now it's called i got smarter and it's it's more of, it's more about the programs that i've used to succeed in my life and we talked a lot about where i came from but i've been able to use goals and use personal development to go to you know, somewhere I, I never could have imagined growing up. Yeah, it's it's almost like you're reading off the, the notes I'm writing here. I wanted to ask you, like, what tools helped you? Like mentors, books, websites, you know, like, are you able to go over some of those things? Sure. I love self-help. As soon as, uh, as, soon as I got out of college, uh, the best thing that I could tell anybody to, to do right now is never listen to music again in your car. You should always be listening to some kind of book. And it can be any kind of books better than the radio or, or podcasts, but be learning while you're in your car. My, my commute for most of uh, my, jo my job was about 45 minutes each way. And I got to the point where I could listen to it on two or two and a half X Tour fast, and so I was consuming a book every four days or so, and and it just helped me so much. And and I consumed all the all the great books of you know all the self help books. I even I even read some of the the classic novels. Anything that I thought would help me again become the person that I wanted to become, but that's that's the first thing but i also i i new year's day is my favorite holiday because i sit down and i write my goals and my family knows okay we're we're going to let dad alone we know he's going to be out there for six or seven hours doing his goals and doing his review and because of that i pretty much have had every single goal achievement program on the market and over the last 25 years using those i know what works i know what doesn't work for me and so eventually i got to the point where i was taking a little bit from here and a little bit from there and and then some of the things that i came up with that would help me actually achieve those goals most people fail on their new year's resolutions by february 92 yeah. percent, in fact wow so uh, achieving goals is hard but I came up with this program. Uh, it has all the tools, knowledge, support that you need to actually achieve your goals. And think about how different your life would be if you could achieve a few of your biggest goals that you have in your life. And, and not only how different your life would be, but how different would your kids' lives be and, and their kids' lives be if you could become that person that you want to become there's something that worries me about where technology is leading us. Um, we're getting very comfortable at being able to stay home. Like you don't have to leave your house to do anything legitimately. Like not even, not even, you don't have to leave your house to work anymore. No. So what, what that says to me or what I believe is that's killing, that's killing people's drive immediately like you have to get outside and and talk to people 
Like, that's why I love this podcast, man. I, I told you this, that it's like, it's like reading a book every time I speak to somebody. And I feel like you don't get that through social media, like through text messages. You really don't. And, you know, it, it's, it's inspiring to hear your story, what you came from and you're still kicking ass. And now you've had kids who grew up like in a, in a, amazingly. And you're still, you're still grinding, man. You're still out there meeting people, writing new books. Like there's, there's no end in sight for you. So I'm just worried about like, um, people who live this comfortable lifestyle who don't need to leave their house. Like, why should I, I make just like a bare minimum. It's fine. I'm getting by. Like, why should I, why should I be uncomfortable at all? This is fine. This is okay. And if enough people like go through that, it's, it's like almost a dystopia is how I see it. Uh, maybe because yeah, I read a lot of dystopian books, but. You, you know what? I, I'm not, I don't want to be one of those old geezers that look back on the generations coming up and saying, you know, we're doomed. <laughs> but uh, I, I've asked this question to generations ahead of me. And I'm like, did you, did you look at us and just think these yeah. guys are just idiots? And then uh-huh. like a little bit, but, but not much. And then I asked, you know, I ask people about uh, the generations coming up, and and I think a lot of people are scared. And because of technology and because the ease that we've had, we we've had prosperity through most of a, anybody who's forty or under. They don't. They've only had prosperity in this country, so it's been a pretty easy life. I mean, nothing like. I mean, look look at the look at the baby boomers and the greatest generation and the things that they went through. Uh, I, I don't know if we, we would survive doing that. And that, that's what I tell my boys all the time is, you know what, right now is the easiest time ever in the history of the world to succeed. Because all you have to do right now is put forth a reasonable effort and show up. And you're going to be ahead of 80% of the people who are out there. True, true. And, and I mean, I, I hate to say that and, I, and and that might irritate, but I think that's true. I mean, I've, I've owned, I've owned a, a chain of pet resorts, uh, one of the largest privately owned pet resorts in the country. We had over a hundred employees. I owned uh, a daycare operation with over a hundred employees. We owned a couple trampolines and a lot of those workers were, intro jobs and the daycares were 10 or 15 years ago and and the and the pet resorts i just sold maybe five years ago and the trampoline parks i just sold a couple months ago so i i feel like i've had this generational kind of case study of of working with entry-level positions and entry-level people and I, i will tell you one of the reasons that i sold the trampoline parks was I could not get good workers. I couldn't get people who were dedicated and took their job seriously. And they'd call you and say, hey, I'm going to the lake this weekend. And I know it's a three-day weekend and we're busy and you need everybody, but can I get off? And I'm like, well, no, you can't. We're going to be busy. Okay, I quit. And then they'll they'll just find a job the next week. So really, it's it's disturbing and and then even at the job, you know, it, it was hard for people to take ownership and pride in their work and, and understand what a true work ethic was. I, I don't think those things are taught anymore. I think I think you're right. I think everybody thinks that you should be comfortable and you shouldn't have any responsibilities and you should be able to do what you want to do when you want to do it and not really have to sacrifice for work. Uh, work is a, a a necessary evil. I think most people coming up through the ranks now look at it and they'd rather be doing other things, which I love doing other things too. And and frankly, right now I'm, I'm to the point where I can do what I want to do when I want to do it, but I still want to contribute to the world. I still want, I, I feel like my best stuff is still in the tank and and I want to get it out there before I go. And I love a vacation as much as the next guy. And I love to go skiing and hiking and all that. But I also love 
helping people and and changing lives and and feeling like I'm doing what I was put on this earth to do and and I'm sorry I just don't feel like anybody was just put on this earth just to get by I, yeah. I just don't think that's the case yeah I was I was really wondering when you were going through your story I'm like man how what's the adjustment like when you're seeing like spoiled kids and you know like people who are just complaining over uh nothing really you know and and you barely had like a bed to sleep in you know you didn't have food so when you see like uh i don't know these trivial things that people are complaining about you're you might be having a fit i'd imagine <laughs> just like what they they have no idea they have you know, no clue you know what i i I've gotten to the point where I look at my childhood as a huge advantage. So I, I, think, you. That's, yeah. I think that's kind of gone away where mm -hmm. I, I feel more sorry for somebody who can complain about a trivial thing when it doesn't really matter. And that's the, that's the mindset that they have. I would, I wouldn't trade places with them. Like I love my mindset. I love what I went through. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I survived it and who knows where I would have ended up if I had a cushy childhood. I mean, exactly. That, that's, that's what I was my, wondering. Yeah. That, that's my biggest thing with my kids is, you know, I think me and my wife have gone the total opposite and our kids don't know what it's like to do without. They pretty much eat what they want to eat. They go where they want to go. They buy what they want to buy. And you're, you're really taking away a lot of that drive and a lot of that desire to, to do things himself. Now through sports, I think they've learned how to work hard and bingo. Yeah. There's, and, yeah, there's definitely still ways to, to capture that. Yeah. yeah. And I think we've done a good job of just explaining how blessed we are. And I think they've seen some friends who aren't as blessed as us. And then they realize how good they have it. Uh, and, and my one son, he, uh, the 20, the 21 year old, he went and uh, and served a mission in uh, Guatemala for two years. For two years? Whoa. For two, for two years. And so he understands what it's like not to have hot water. And yeah. Not to have food and for the, the housing to be tough and to see how people are living. Guatemala is one of the poorest countries in the world. So I think that really helped him a lot understand how blessed he is. But, you know, th that being said, you know, he still comes home and, and wants a brand new truck and new clothes. And, but, but I think, but I think he understands what it's like out there and, and how hard you have to work to live that type of lifestyle. So, you know, he, he's, he's, he's definitely understands it a lot better now. Yeah. And, you know, f probably from your, your kid's point of view, you are an extreme example you know, your, your past was a, a very extreme example. I'd imagine like a very small percentage of people live like that, you know? Yeah, I would agree. I, I, but, but like I said, everybody has their, everybody has their struggles, right? Some, some of them might be, might be like mine. Others, others might be seem trivial to us, but their struggles to them, we all have to overcome them. And correct. Yeah. You know, a lot of that is just getting that right mindset and, and not being a victim. I, I think, I think that's one thing when I wrote my book, uh, you know, that the victim meant, I don't think the victim mentality was as big and victim wasn't as a hot button word as it is now. But I, I think there's a lot of people who want to be a victim. They want to, they want to blame somebody or something or the, politics or the government or their parents they want to blame somebody for whatever's going wrong in their lives and it goes back to that ownership there's just none of it right you don't see any of and it. That's, that's exactly what they need jay they need to take no one once you realize that you are 100 percent responsible for your own success mm -hmm. yeah. that's when your life will change when you realize there's no it's nobody's fault it's it's not nobody nobody's fault it's, it's not the economy's fault it's not the country's fault it's not the president's fault once you realize i am 100 percent responsible for my success 
then you take complete ownership of it and you can actually do something about it. Because the problem is if you're screwed up because of what your parents did, then all you all you're waiting for is for your parents to change or your parents to do something different or do something for you or apologize or whatever. And now you can't move on until somebody else does something. But when you take that complete responsibility for it, now it's all in your hands and now you can go as far and as fast as you want to go. Yeah. Well, how do you take that ownership? You, what, you, what you need to have is you have to have these moments in your life where you you dig within the introspect, right? And what's happening right now is that everyone is so distracted. I mean, we have a, a freaking computer attached to our hip 24-7. So people aren't getting like the necessary moments to their life that they need. They surround themselves by people. They surround themselves by, you know, uh, technology, uh, video games, movies, you name it. Like the world has become full of entertainment. So when do people find time to actually sit on their bed and go over the things that might be messing up their life? You know, why is your life this way? I, I think people, if people would just take 10 minutes out of their day, do a meditation, do a stretch, but really think to yourself, like, how can you better yourself? What, yeah. what things have gone wrong in my life that I would like to change? Like, you have to have that conversation. I don't think a lot of people can look themselves in the mirror today. And I mean, it, it, it doesn't take a lot. It just takes 10 minutes a day, if that. To seriously have this conversation with yourself. I go over it and over it on my podcast on these solo episodes that I do. I mean, that's the one thing that, that changed my life is just, having these hard conversations. Yeah. Why isn't my life where, where I want it to be? Only well, you know the answer. Friends yeah, are going to tell you lies, maybe. You know yeah, the answer. Absolutely. And what, one of the parts of my program, uh, I Got Smarter, uh, we do a morning and an evening ritual. Well, well, first of all, we do a self-assessment, which goes through all that stuff that you were talking about. And one of the first things we do is gratitude we we learn to have that attitude of gratitude and and we're thankful for everything that comes into our lives because it's either going to help us or it's or we're going to learn from it it's going to be yes. a lesson so if you, if you address everything that it, it's not happening to you it's happening for you and you just figure out sometimes you have to get creative but you, you're you figure out how this situation the circumstances this person whatever they came into your life, they're going to help you in some way. So that attitude of gratitude is key. Uh, but, but we go through all that. We, all, we also go through figuring out what, what you want to do with your life and what your goals are. And then once you have those goals and you go through that self-assessment, which is, which is pretty involved, then every day you go through uh, what we call a morning ritual. And in that morning ritual, you're, you're practicing gratitude, you're reviewing your goals, you're reviewing the goal setting process and, and why you've set your goals and your why for each one of your goals and how your group is going to help you uh, through the goals. And then you're coming up with what can I do today to get closer to that goal? And, what, and, and, and so every single day is you're living life very focused and you know exactly what you want. You know when you want it by and you know what you have to do to, to, to get there. So imagine if you sat down every morning and reviewed your goals and came up with the to-do list to get you closer to those goals. And then you actually did that every single day. And there's a lot of things in the program that will ensure that you actually stick with your goals and stick with them each day we have accountability built into it and so then you do that you, you have a great day and then at the uh at the end of the day we have an evening ritual where we do some reflection and make sure that we did everything that we did and and that yeah. we're able to uh, uh see where our goals are headed and and you know what we're human so we might fall off the wagon for a day or so but the program gets you back up and if you fell off a day or a week or whatever you were sick there's there's always the opportunity to readjust in this so instead of losing your goals in february 
uh, your New Year's resolutions by February and not starting again till next January, this program, if you do fall off the wagon, uh, it gets you back up as soon as possible. And instead of losing, you know, essentially a year, uh, you might lose a week or, or two, and then you're back at it, understanding that you got to get these goals done. And this is really what you want with your life. Beautiful, man. Nelson, I appreciate you being here, man. Let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Um, can you go ahead and, and shout out the, the books that you, you've authored and uh, maybe some social media if you're on it, any kind of websites of yours? Just go ahead and uh, shield that out now if you would. Yeah, uh, the book that I wrote is called The Unlucky Sperm Club. You are not a victim of your circumstances, but a product of your choices. You can grab that on Amazon. It's also on Audible. Uh, I also participated in, a, in another book called Action Takers, who's stepping up and speaking out. Uh, and you can pick that one up as well on Amazon. And as I said, I'm working on my program uh, within a book called I Got Smarter. And I'm hoping to have that out by the end of the year, uh, getting ready for New Year's. The best way to uh, reach out to me is my website, nelsontressler.com. Uh, or you can find me on all the social networks, although I'm not a big social guy, so I need to get better at the social networking. Awesome. Nelson, man, thank you so much for being who you are, you know, being open and, you know, sharing your story. I, I know it's not easy. I know it wasn't easy taking that first step and you did it. And whether you know it or not, you're helping so many people that, that may have thought about, you know, taking their last breath. You know what I mean? Hearing your story and understanding that, that there's hope out there, that people can change their life. It's not a death sentence if you're in a rut right now, that things can be done. So thank you very much for being you. Thank you for coming on to my show and sharing your story and, uh, and the, uh, the resources and the tools that people can use to better their lives. Thank you so much, Nelson. Yeah, Jay, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Have a good one. You too. Later, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.